The Rural Health Voice, Episode 24, Community Health. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Can community organizations have a role in addressing health issues for the whole community? Ashley Reynolds Marshall joined me to discuss how the YWCA of Central Virginia is doing exactly that. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about the difference between what we typically think of when we say the Y, which is the new name for the YMCA, as opposed to your organization and the purpose of the YWCA. Sure. So it is true that the YMCA and the YWCA were in some ways historically the flip side of the same coin. Um, So they were focused in on health. Um, Our organization was established originally abroad in England and came here to the States. The first association was actually in New York City. However, since then, there has been uh, a bit of a divergence between the two organizations. So the YMCA, now known just as the Y, focuses in on health and fitness and those opportunities to enhance the community, usually through those lenses. So it can be everything from child care where the children will have really great snacks and chances to uh, engage in physical exercise to programs that help individuals who have diabetes or help our seniors to continue to be mobile. They do absolutely amazing work also in food insecurity. Your YWCAs have moved to a more social justice lens. So the mission of every YWCA in the country is that we are dedicated to eliminating racism, empowering women, and promoting peace justice, freedom, and dignity for all. There are over 200 YW associations here in the U.S., and YWCA USA is a part of a world movement, which is the World YWCA. And the World YWCA has a very keen focus on young uh, women and girls, and they want to do some amazing uh, just uh, policy and, and other work to ensure that young women and girls around the country have the same opportunities to survive and thrive no matter where they are. So those are some of the really basic differences between your Ys and your YWs. You're leading a session at the Rural Health Voice Conference titled The Role of Non-Healthcare Providers in Community Health. What can an entity like the YWCA do to address health on the community level? Sure. So one of the things that you will notice across many associations of YWs in our nation in the States is that we work and focus in on domestic violence and or sexual assault or other gender-based violence. So when you're working in an organization that has that type of programming and focus, it's very clear that we are involved in a different way, but we certainly are involved in the health space. 
space. And so part of what our organization does is to ensure that our advocates are trained in trauma-informed care and working with different populations because our YW specifically here in Central Virginia actually has a seven-county area which means we work not only in the city of Lynchburg, which is where we probably are most well-known, but in all the counties that really surround us. So we have to especially know not only how to work with women, children, and men who have undergone, honestly, just heart-wrenching trauma and violence in their lives, but also how to do it in an urban, suburban, and geographically isolated or rural setting. Do you see a difference in those issues in rural and small town areas as opposed to urban and suburban America? Is there differences in how those situations happen? Is there a difference in how we address them or is it pretty much the same thing? Well, unfortunately, intimate partner violence looks a lot the same across the board. But what we do see differences in is in reporting. Uh, so there was actually a really great study that um, occurred in 20... 15, I believe. And what that study showed is something that, and I apologize, that study was a 2011 study, but what it showed is something that individuals working in the space have always known. There is a reporting problem. There already is a reporting problem when it comes to in intimate partner violence, family violence in any locality, no matter where you are, people are scared to report. But we find that the reporting is even lower in rural jurisdictions. Um, so one of the things that our organization's advocates do have to overcome is that there is lower reporting. There is uh, sometimes a different fear of reporting in those areas. Part of it could be exactly what many of your listeners may be thinking. It's a small area. Everybody knows everybody's business. So as soon as you call the police and they speed down the road, everyone's going to know where they're going, where they've stopped, how long they were there. Uh, so that is definitely part of the issue that we see in our rural and geographically isolated areas. Additionally, one of the things that we see running a, a shelter in a geographically isolated area, so our YW has a shelter located in a confidential um, area in Campbell County, is that oftentimes those victims need something different. So they may not actually need to be residents of our emergency shelter. In our rural or geographically isolated areas, I'll interchange those phrases, by the way, we sometimes find that women, men, or children who are seeking refuge can find that refuge with a friend or a family member. So they might not need to stay in our shelter, but they certainly will still need support groups, they will need court advocacy and help navigating that system. They may need help with financial empowerment because oftentimes one of the ways that an abuser controls their victims is through finances, not allowing them to work, taking their money, only having one account where that person, the abuser, has the access to that account even if they work. So there are still some definite needs that we see that our rural communities have that may be just a little more prevalent 
prevalent, whereas in an urban setting, getting out of the home and into a safe shelter might be number one. Now, you're physically located in Lynchburg, but you have a much larger service area, don't you? Absolutely. So our service area includes not only the city of Lynchburg, but we have seven counties as well. And those counties include Bedford, Campbell County, Alta Vista, Appomattox. So we definitely have some urban, suburban, and rural areas that we're working our programs within. Now, I was snooping around your website, and I noticed there's a quick escape button that leads to the Weather Channel. What's the purpose of that? Absolutely. So some of the most vulnerable times that we see with individuals who are escaping domestic violence or intimate partner violence is when they are planning their escape. So perhaps someone who is seeking to leave a situation has heard that the YWCA has programs and opportunities. So we wanted to make sure that our page had information. So not only do we have information about our programs, but you may have also seen that there's a resource about how to plan your escape. Well, if you're looking at a page that says how to plan your escape and you hear your abuser coming up the stairs, you certainly don't want that person to catch you looking at that. So by simply clicking the quick escape button, it takes you to the weather channel and it takes you to the weather channel. So if you click the back button, you can't get back to our page. And so now the individual only sees that you were looking at the weather channel. And right now it's talking about the four inches of snow reported today. And so that has a very different set of potential consequences than if you were looking at that page on our website about how to plan your escape or perhaps looking at our phone number so that you can call and get in contact with us. Now, I also saw that you have a residential housing program. Do you see housing is related to health as well? Absolutely. So as many individuals know, and I feel like I'm, I'm preaching to a really great choir right now, your health is more than your physical health. That does include social determinants of health, which includes the neighborhoods you live in, the condition of your house. Are you living in a tenement with black mold and cockroaches? Certainly not healthy for you. So one of the things that our YW has done, and we've actually done it since 1918, is house women. So our YWCA was actually established in 1912 for the purpose of providing safe housing for women. And if you think about that time, women in more rural locations especially were coming into city centers to work. And so we provided housing generally during the work week and they would go home to their families on the weekend. Our housing has changed from that model to at one point we were transitional housing, which now many listeners may know as permanent supportive housing. But currently what our organization provides in our historic building in downtown Lynchburg is permanent community style housing for low income women. So on average, our residents earn about $770 a month. They range in age from 27 to 68 years old, but nearly 80% of them have full-time or multiple part-time employment. So we're really looking at those individuals who are classified as extremely low income, but are working. Um, they are at the, the back edge of what United Ways may call ALICE, Al- Asset Limited Income Constrained, but Employed. 
And so we provide dormitory style housing. So every one of our 30 residents has their own room, their own bedroom. They do share bathroom and kitchen facilities. And our rent is around $280 a month. I say around because uh, we are in a older building, 1918. Again, I call her our grand old lady. And so there are some units that have AC. And if they have a window unit, there's a slightly larger, um, a little charge uh, for using the AC in the summer. It's $15. Um, and then in the winter when they're not using it, the rent drops right back down. But what we've been excited about is being able to provide both short-term and quite frankly, long-term safe and affordable housing for members of the community who wouldn't find housing elsewhere. And as I said, that ranges from individuals who are in their 20s who may stay here for or six months, may stay here for a year. So we have women who are aging in place, which also is another part of health. So again, our oldest resident is 68. She goes to work every day and has the most beautiful singing voice because she sang me happy birthday last year. Oh, lovely. And <laughs> mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier that part of your purpose is being dedicated to eliminating racism. That sounds like a pretty big goal. How do you break that into management pieces? Absolutely. And one of the interesting things about the YW as a whole is the longevity of that work. So our organization integrated in 1946 under the leadership of Dr. Dorothy Height, who many um, individuals may know of. But in case you don't, the easiest way to find Dr. Height is if you look at pictures of the civil rights marches, you will see Martin Luther King leading. You'll see John Lewis in the front. You'll see Eldrick Cleaver in the front. And you'll see this one woman in a fabulous hat. That is Dr. Dorothy Height. And so it has been on the mind of YWs for quite some time because it does also play into the second part of our mission, which is to empower women. Because how in the world can we empower women if we know we're leaving some of our sisters behind? The easiest way to think about that is I'll give two examples. The first is economic. The second is health. So we all know that women are paid lower than men on average. But we also know that women of color are paid even lower. So even if we raise every woman's pay five cents, there still is inequality and all women are still not equally as empowered. So we have to look at raising our Native sisters' pay first because they're at the lowest. Then our Hispanic or Latinx sisters, then our African-American sisters, our Asian sisters, and then we now are at a parity where we can raise all women's pay. The health example is the YW as a full organization has a keen interest in maternal health outcomes because we know right now that women of color, more specifically African-American women, have worse maternal health outcomes than anyone else in our nation. So in order to empower women to have safe pregnancies, happy children, safe families. We have to look at the systemic racism issue that is we have seen through data and through research is built into those issues of maternal health outcomes. So it is not a small feat, but we do it in ways that make sense for our organization. So here in Lynchburg, we are keenly paying attention to maternal health outcomes, but we also are paying attention to how um, race could impact, for example, reporting 
of domestic violence. And we have fantastic partnerships with the Office of the Commonwealth Attorney in all of our localities, with the police and sheriff's departments in all of our localities. So we're able to have those open conversations of saying, hey, this person felt like it was a little more difficult for them to report. And they take it in stride and say, okay, we need to look at what happened there. So we're really lucky that we're able to really seamlessly merge that into our work. And that's under the leadership. I have to give her a shout out of our director of programs and DVPP director, Linda Ellis Williams, who is an amazing survivor herself, who just does incredible work for our survivors here. Now, thinking more about the maternal health issue, a few months ago, I interviewed Dr. Lauren Powell, who is the Virginia Department's Health Office of Health Equity Director. And we were talking about, again, the the disparities in maternal health. And one item that we discussed is the stereotype that rural America is just populated by white people. Do you see that stereotype? stereotype playing out in your work? Absolutely. I think that there is unfortunately this assumption um, that you're right. Rural America um, really maybe doesn't have um, minority populations. Um, But I come from a long line of tobacco farmers from Franklin County. Um, And so I still have family that lives in Franklin County and Bedford County. I still have family that farms. Um, And we also are actually seeing just, you know, a sort of an aside, an increase in farmers of color again. Um, so we know that there are people of color who live in rural communities. And so not only is there the battle and the challenge that many in certain rural communities face of having adequate health care or health care that is close enough to them. Think of if you're having a pregnancy that may have some concerns and you have to go an hour or an hour and a half to get to a, um, a hospital for care. Uh, that certainly is a concern, but we also are certainly seeing that there again is that assumption that maybe a person of color would not live in those rural communities, but they certainly do. Sure. And I could see, you know, if, if a hospital or a clinic maybe had staff that wasn't aware the perception that, oh, you're a person of color, you you must be from someplace else, you don't belong here, and how that would play out in the treatment that they receive. Absolutely. And that's something that we are seeing. I know um, several years ago, there was a study done at UVA that um, confirmed that um, even today, there's still a um, an assumption of levels of pain uh, specifically with African-American clients. And we've seen this play out not only, of course, in rural America, but also in, in urban and wealthy America. The example that I um, generally talk about is Serena Williams, whose um, concerns after her birth went untreated until her husband, who also happens to be white, went up and said, no, I think you need to listen to my wife. And it turns out she was absolutely correct about her body. And who would know their body better than a world-class athlete, but she nearly died because she wasn't listened to. So that's something that I also think is really fascinating specifically about the maternal health outcomes issue is that typically oftentimes, um, I'm sure you've talked about this with other, um, other, you know, professionals and on this podcast, we can see that perhaps this is a crisis only in this geographic area and maybe only with this community. 
Here, if you're a woman of color, it doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. If you are in the best shape of your life or the worst shape of your life, if you have um, all the money in the world, like Beyonce and Serena Williams, or if you are trying to rob Peter to pay Paul, as my mama would say, this unfortunately can impact you. And you're right. I think that in a rural setting, there would be questions of, are you really from the community? Are you really from the area? And also there would be questions about the care that that person would receive because I know from, you know, reading, uh, you know, different text and data that there are not enough doctors, there are not enough nurses in our rural localities, so their caseload's even higher. You know, I live in an urban center, and sometimes you're lucky to get 15 minutes with your doctor. If you've got a waiting list, you want to make sure that you provide care to everyone who needs it. That means it's going to be even shorter. Right. Thank you. Now, you've applied to be a member of the Virginia Rural Health Association Board of Directors. Why do you think it's important for people to serve as leaders on community health issues? I think that it's important to serve as leaders on these issues because we have the unique yet important opportunity to speak for our brothers and sisters who maybe don't have as much of a voice. I always think, especially of my family and the fact that like other families, they're all working. They're still working, um, especially in our, you know, more geographically isolated and rural communities. Individuals don't stop working at 50 or 55 or 60 or 65. And so they need someone who's willing to look at the issues that are on their plate and say, I have the privilege of being able to drive my car to Richmond and speak for you and you deserve that. So for me, honestly, if selected, it's a true honor to be able to have conversations for the survivors that the YW represents, for the communities that the YW represents and saying, hey, these are issues in these rural communities and you may not know about them. So I'm here to make sure that you legislator are aware of these issues and how you can help and how you can have this amazing impact on the health and wellness of these communities. So they're not merely trying to survive, but they're able to thrive like everyone else. And I'm sure if we have listeners in your area, you would happily take donations to the YWCA. We would. Unfortunately, I would love to be able to tell people who are listening that our domestic violence caseload has slowed up, that our sexual assault caseload, which unfortunately in our area is roughly 50% children, has slowed up. It is not. Um, and so every day our team goes out and does some absolutely amazing work. And every dollar that's donated goes to support that work and support members of the community finding themselves being free from violence healing from trauma. So again, we are a nonprofit, you know, we are not, um, you know, utilizing this funding in any way other than just to make sure that we're able to continue to provide for our communities when they need us and be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like we always have been. If people are concerned about health in their community, what can they do? What actions can they take? 
absolutely. I am a huge believer in the power of a well-written note. I know that may sound uh, a little simplistic, but especially when we think about health right now, health is so tied into rules and regulations. And if your legislator, everyone from your um, individual who sits on your county board of supervisors to the individual who represents you in the halls of the Senate... Uh, for the federal government, if they don't know the crisis that you're facing, if they don't know the difficulties that you've had, there's no way where they can even consider being your voice. And so if you are a person who uh, prefers the internet, usually Every legislator has a form that you can fill out right from their website. If you're talking about members of your county board of supervisors, there usually is an email at bare minimum to the clerk or an address if you prefer handwriting to the clerk where you need to let them know what's going on. If you've had trouble accessing dental care, you need to let them know. If you have trouble accessing quality mental health care, you need to let them know. If you are concerned about the uh, lack of a domestic violence shelter in your area, you need to let them know. Because especially in domestic violence and sexual assault work, we certainly depend on not only individual donors investing their generosity in our work, but also in state and federal grants investing that money in the work to ensure that everyone in the community has access. And if we're missing you... We don't want to miss you, but we don't know it until someone tells us, and the legislators don't know it until someone tells them. So spending that five or 10 minutes on a letter, handwritten, email, whatever you prefer, I think is a really great way to increase health outcomes in your own community. And if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? Ooh, that is a big question. I think if I could do anything, um, for me, I have the honor of being a city manager's kid. Um, so my dad, Earl Reynolds, was city manager of Martinsville and is now the assistant city manager of Danville, and his specialty is housing. And I remember when he was actually, at the time, he was working for a nonprofit, but he was telling me about that there are still areas where plumbing doesn't exist. There are still areas where people are living in lean-to houses. There are still areas where electricity is inadequate. That is the one thing I think that I would like to make sure that is impacted in our rural communities. Everyone deserves a quality home. Everyone deserves a place to call their own. Everyone deserves good rest. And part of that is having the ability of running water, flushing toilets, quality electricity, and safe housing. And I think that that is part, again, one of those social determinants of health that um, means a lot to me. Um, coming from where I did with the family I have. And it's something where if I can have any impact, that's where I would like to sort of lay my hat is that housing piece. Sure, because we've seen a lot of press about the issues in Flint, Michigan, 
but there's many, many people in rural America that aren't getting that attention, even though their situation is as bad or worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're just, you know, Flynn is one of those situations where thank goodness someone did some research there and it happened to catch on like wildfire. But you're absolutely right. There are people that are turning on their taps right now today here in the Commonwealth where the water may be coming out not quite right. And we need to just make sure that they have access and that they also know that there are people out there who care. We care that you have access to clean water. We care that you have access to safe housing. We care that you have access to fresh foods as well as access to uh, what we call traditional healthcare, traditional medicine. Um, And so I think that, you know, again, that's just something where it it really struck a chord with me when my dad was talking about that work. And I know it's not resolved. I know he hasn't been able to complete it. I know that everyone who's doing that work already, there's one more house, there's one more uh, electrical line, there's one more piping line that needs to be done. Well, thank you, Ashley. Appreciate you joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. And thank you so much, Beth, for all that you do, as well as Virginia Rural Health. What The work you complete is important. So I just want to take a minute to say thank you. Thank you. That's Ashley Reynolds Marshall, Executive Director of the YWCA of Central Virginia, encouraging you to let your elected officials at every level know what's going on with health in your community. If you want to be part of the conversation, join Ashley and the other session leaders at the Rural Health Voice Conference in November. For details, visit vrha.org and click the event title on the bottom right side. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.